I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about the sounds that make some people want to run for the hills, how our sense of self determines what we find beautiful, and an ancient naval cannon with some secrets of its own. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. There are people who absolutely cannot stand some sounds. Yeah, I mean, I've got some I hate. Like, if a crazy loud truck drives past my house, I I feel like I'm going to lose it. Mm, Okay, me too. Uh, But that's not exactly what I'm talking about, because explosively loud sounds kind of annoy everyone. What I'm talking about are sounds that most of us don't even notice, like the sound of someone chewing, and like normal chewing with their mouth closed even, or the sound of a yawn, or lip smacking, or clocks tick-tocking, that kind of thing. In people who suffer from a disorder called misophonia, these sounds can trigger a fight-or-flight response that'll make them want to run and hide. Whoa, okay. I mean, I've seen those videos on the internet of people chewing or making those little scratching noises. If I had misophonia, that would drive me up the wall, wouldn't it? Exactly. And the thing is, it's only recently that researchers have begun to look into it. It turns out that people with severe misophonia can really struggle to lead normal lives. Researchers have found that sounds can trigger actual physiological responses like increased heart rate, sweating, and an overwhelming need to escape. All from like a yawn? Or whatever the trigger sound is. It'll cause anger and disgust. It makes them feel anxious and feel like they're powerless. Like it can be really awful. Huh, I had no idea. Well, that's not unusual. Like I said, so little is known about this that many doctors wouldn't even know how to diagnose. And what's worse is that people who suffer from it feel embarrassed, like something's wrong with them, so they often don't even report it. But there is some good news. A new study has dug into misophonia, and they're getting closer and closer to understanding the mechanisms behind it. Okay, so what did they find? Well, they wanted to see if they could pin down the actual symptoms and see if there might be a range of subgroups. And if so, are there any other conditions associated with misophonia? So like comorbidities? Exactly. Two conditions that sort of go together. In other words, does one condition make you more susceptible to the other? Through their analysis, they found that you can break down those who suffer from it into three groups, mild, moderate, and severe. And those in the severe group had sensitivities in other senses like vision and touch, and they had higher rates of conditions like OCD, migraines, and were more likely to exhibit traits of autism. So do those issues cause the sound sensitivity or vice versa? One suggestion is that the sensitivity to sound can ripple out and cause wider sensory health and behavior issues in some severe cases. Would that mean that if they figured out how to cure the misophonia, they'd solve the other stuff? It's probably not that simple, but the bigger picture is that this study shows misophonia involves more than just sound sensitivity. 
It's essential to understand the severity of someone's sound sensitivity to understand the ripple effects it could have across the rest of their health. This isn't just about disliking sounds, then, in other words. Nope. It's all about sensory processing and mental health. And studies like this can make a huge difference for people suffering through it. Well, that's good. And kind of music to my ears. Researchers think they have finally figured out what makes art beautiful to us. Okay. Is it like a certain color? Maybe a kind of shape or line we're attracted to? Like a combination of factors? Nope. The art that we find most beautiful is the art that reminds us of ourselves. So you're saying we're all just a bunch of narcissists who only find <laughs> ourselves beautiful. Okay, I would, I, I would not go that far. But, you know, if the shoe fits. Uh, this study was actually pretty fascinating, and it was really made possible by AI. Researchers wanted to know how much of our sense of self or self-relevant factors figured into our preferences for stuff like art. Okay, so what do you mean self-relevant factors? It's a good question. To answer that, let's talk a little bit about the study, which was a joint study by researchers at the Max Planck Institute for Empirical Aesthetics, the Ernst Strungman Institute, and the Max Planck Institute for Psycholinguistics. Hmm, not exactly a bunch of dummies there. <laughs> yeah, no, not exactly. So in their first study, they gathered a bunch of people and had them rate art based on how beautiful they found it and also on how relevant it was to themselves. And they found that both of those things were correlated. Got it. So they found the stuff that was more self-relevant, also more beautiful. Okay, so where does AI come in? Oh, see, that's where it gets interesting. They had another group of participants complete a pretty detailed survey on themselves. They described childhood memories, they talked about stuff they enjoyed doing, and really just gave the researchers a complete nuts-and-bolts autobiography of themselves. And then they fed it all to an AI artist. Whoa. Yeah. They had an AI create art that was highly tailored to each participant's personal history, and some that just wasn't. And the results were remarkable, if not expected. The participants couldn't get enough of the art that was considered self-relevant. So we loved the art that reminded us of us. Precisely. So this might feel like it's not that big of a deal, but it actually could be. Social media companies have been gathering our personal data for years with our consent. These apps and services basically have unfettered access to our personal wants, needs, likes, dislikes. In other words, they know our stories. I think I see where this is going. The science suggests that we are drawn to stuff that reminds us of ourselves. So a company can get us to buy just about anything if it knows our story. That's the bigger picture in a nutshell. Knowing what gets us all excited helps companies sell us things, but it can also be used to exploit us. And now that AI is advancing, that risk is only growing larger. Okay, so what do we do with this knowledge? Like, how do we avoid being exploited? Do we stop liking art that reminds us of ourselves? <laughs> it's probably not possible. But studies like this help us at least understand our own preferences and the bias behind them so we can be on guard when we need to be. So the next time someone tries to sell me a painting of myself, I'll say no, unless <laughs> it's really good and it'll look good above the couch. Uh-huh. Well, now I know what to get you for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In 2001, a scuba diver was exploring the depths off the coast of Sweden when he came across what looked to be a cannon. He pulled it up with him when he surfaced to get a closer look. It was encrusted with sea life and sediments and seemed like it had probably been on the seabed for a long, long time. Okay, so what did he do? He called a museum. It turns out he had found one of the oldest known shipboard cannons in all of Europe. Cool. Okay, so what's the story? Where, where did this thing come from? Since they found it, they've been analyzing it for clues, but it has sort of been a mystery. But in a newly published report, researchers think they're closer than ever to putting all the pieces together. So the first clue has to do with where it was found. Near Sweden, right? Yep, just off the coast of Marstrand, which was an important medieval harbor that was once full of naval battles and pirates. So this could have been a part of a battle? Not only that, but the researchers found a little fragment of cloth in the back of the chamber, which is kind of a miracle that it was preserved for so long in those conditions. But they believe that cloth was part of a cartridge that would have held the explosive powder charge. And check this out. Having that cloth in the chamber could mean that it was loaded and ready to fire just before it ended up on the bottom of the ocean. So not only was this thing found in an area associated with sea battles, but it could be that it's on the bottom of the ocean because it was in a sea battle? (laughs) It's possible. The cannon itself is mostly copper mixed with lead, a little bit of tin, and a couple other elements. They've done chemical analysis, and they think these metals likely came from mines in Slovakia and the UK. Cannons like this were generally used to attack people, not the ships themselves. So a ship would get close enough, and you'd fire this at it to kill the crew of the ship. They were developed because the old way of fighting the crew of another ship was to board the ship and fight (laughs) hand-to-hand. Swashbuckling, Pirates of the Caribbean style. Yep. So at first, researchers weren't so surprised by this cannon. It was a fairly common weapon meant to protect and defend ships from attack, either from pirates or from other navies. But there's a twist. You remember that cloth they found? Uh, The one in the chamber that suggested it was loaded and ready to fire when it sank? The very same. They carbon dated it and found that it goes back to somewhere between 1285 to 1399 AD. That means it's from the late Middle Ages, and that means it's older than any other known European naval cannon. Huh. Okay, it's funny. I never imagined cannons like this being invented, you know? You think of old ships battling it out with pirates, and you always imagine cannons. But there was a time before cannons, huh? That's the real beauty of this find. And the metal mixture in this cannon wasn't exactly the toughest. It had so much lead in it that it would definitely have cracked with repeated firing. And that means two things. One, it was probably new and unused because there weren't any cracks in it. And two, the people who made these cannons used trial and error to make them stronger and stronger. So the people who made this one had done the trial, but the ship sank before they could get to the error. (laughs) But the shape of this cannon was repeated for hundreds of years after it sank, so at least they got that part right. I mean, they were trying their best with the information they had. (sighs) I guess we won't make them walk the plank for that. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Misophonia is a sensitivity to sounds that most people find mildly annoying or don't notice at all. But severe cases of this disorder can cause anxiety, dread, and trigger a fight-or-flight response. A new study has found that the more severe someone's misophonia symptoms are, 
the more likely they are to be extra sensitive to sights, smells, and touch, and have related mental health issues. An innovative study revealed that self-relevance is key to art's aesthetic appeal. Researchers used AI to create custom artworks that participants rated most beautiful when tailored to their identity and memories. This highlights the captivating power of personalized content, but also should be a warning about our vulnerability to manipulation in an AI-driven world. A medieval copper cannon encrusted with marine life, raised from the seafloor off the coast of Sweden in 2001, has provided researchers with a rare, tangible glimpse into the shadowy world of medieval naval warfare, thanks to radiocarbon dating of cloth found inside. A new study suggests it's the oldest known European cannon of its type. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Our Discovery executive producer is Dominique Vu. Our Wheelhouse DNA executive producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by Callie Gate and Nate Bonham. Our producer is Kiara Noni, and our associate producer is Kimaya Floyd. Writing is done by Sam Osterhout. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Karasimi. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.